right? So thankful to be here with you this morning. And I got my son with me in the front row, Micah, so he's traveling with me today. And before I jump into it, let me just say this. Um, you guys know how incredible your pastors are here. Not just your lead pastors, but your entire staff. I hope you know that because you're blessed with something truly unique and special. Uh, I'm going to draw a little bit of attention over here for a moment. So thankful that... Um, my friend and all of your pastors, Pastor Jenny is here. We love you. We're so thankful. We've been praying for you. Your whole church has, Radiant Church Ludington, we've been praying for you. And to see the miracles that God has done in your life already in this, so many more testimonies. And in lieu of, in lieu of uh, bombarding her after service and everyone running up to her, some of you are like, I don't care, I'm going to do that anyway. But for the vast majority of us, can we just give it up for your incredible Pastor Jenny? We love you. God bless you. And so um, just want to dive right into the message that the Lord has laid on my heart. And again, I'm so thankful to be able to be here with you today. I've been praying for uh, your church and carrying the burden of your church for years. And it's just a blessing every single time to come in and see the growth and to see the change and the, the increase all the way through. And so this is, uh, even though I'm three hours away, my heart is with you and uh, it's a blessing to be in the house today. I'm continuing in a message series, really picking back up a message series that you've been in entitled Sermon on the Mount. This is really, if you will, Jesus' greatest hits, uh, wrapped up into one portion of scripture, three chapters, Matthew chapter five, six, and seven. You could call it that way, I guess. And Jesus is surrounded by the crowd. Some people love him. Some people hate him. They're skeptics. There's a whole you know, slew of people that are there. And Jesus begins to teach effectively countercultural kingdom ideas that really go against the grain of not just the, the area that they live in and the political arena, but really honestly going against the religious grain and pushes on some very difficult at times topics. And today is Matthew chapter five, just two verses, 31 and 32. Let's go ahead and read that together. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Let me just stop right there. We are going to need to talk about my contract. Maybe you're trying to redefine the relationship. I'm not sure. Last week, Pastor John Zondervan was here. He preached on spiritual warfare. We don't fight against people. We fight for people's heart. Praise the Lord. And I get sacked with divorce. And so... I don't know, like, if, it, if it's the props I've used in the past, I'm sorry. I don't know why I'm being tortured for this. Um, but, you know, next time I'm here, I'll probably either teach on sex politics or, you know, or money. So we'll just kind of, we'll, we'll just do the whole tour. How about that? And we'll just, we'll get through it together. But um, we are going to dive into this. Here, here's, what I, here's what I know about difficult portions of Scripture. We have a fight or flight mentality usually. Either we run from it because we're like, ah, I don't want to begin to look into that because I don't really want to deal with the consequences of it, or we lean into it. But the reality is whether you run from it or not, the consequences and the truth of God still happens. We still go through it. We still live it whether we want to acknowledge it or not. And so Jesus is speaking into, as he does quite often, a, a particular mindset that was prevalent in that day and age, but he's kind of 
bringing light to, yeah, scripturally, you're probably doing what is allowed, what is normal, but I want to call you to a higher kingdom level. Jesus is calling out the rampant and at at times trivial divorce culture that existed in that day and age. You got to understand that he's referring back to Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 1 and 4. I won't, I won't read that, but it's a written in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament law, where if you find anything displeasing in your wife, you could give her a certificate of divorce. Now, I should have warned you on the front end, especially Old Covenant Jewish law is very, uh, very encouraging for men and definitely uh, leans more in the direction in the favor of men. But what it's saying in Deuteronomy chapter 24 is basically uh, if your wife doesn't make you happy, that the exact words used there is if you find indecency in her, then you can give her a civil and legal certificate of divorce. And so in that, people interpreted the indecency any way that they wanted to. They had strict interpretations where that means you can only divorce your wife if she has an affair on you, if she cheats on you. Or there's the more lax interpretation where basically, if you just don't like something she does, she burns a toast in the morning, she gives you a sideways look, you're like, I'm done with you, I'm moving on to the next one. And that was the culture that Jesus was trying to correct because he grew up under, and these were perpetuated by two different teachers, uh, rabbis of that day and age. And where he was at, the more lax interpretation was, was definitely the law of the lands. And so Jesus is saying, hold on, we are just divorcing for dumb reasons, for selfish reasons. We're just throwing this out there. If I just have a bad day with you, I'm done with you and I'm moving on. And in my opinion, it was very abusive towards women. And it, didn't, it gave them no rights whatsoever. But even if everybody had equal opportunity, if the wife felt that there was indecency in her husband and she could give the certificate of divorce, either way, there was a honestly, an unrepentant perspective of the people of God when it came to divorce and, by extension, that remarriage. And so what Jesus is saying in verse 32 again, but I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Jesus is pointing out that just because someone happens to be divorced and you fall in love with them and you marry them, doesn't mean in the eyes of God that they're actually divorced. Just because you went through the civil part of it and legally they're no longer married, it doesn't mean that in their heart and through the kingdom lens of God that they're actually divorced. And so you could play that out one step further that if I find, for me, I'll just use me an example, I find someone fall in love with them, they, this, this lady was married before, and, but she did not get a divorce for the right biblical reasons, then by me marrying her and by extension sleeping with her, that I would be sleeping with a married woman, which is adultery. And so that's what Jesus is saying. Listen, not only are you rampant in your divorce, but, at, but because of that, the ramifications of that means you're also sleeping with people that spiritually are still married, which means you're causing them, and for that matter, yourself, to commit adultery. Again, just two verses today. We could end right there, but the problem is, is I imagine probably a bunch of you in this room, your minds are spiraling right now. Some of you are like, go get them, pastor. Divorce is wrong and evil, and anyone that does it is, doesn't love God. That's not true, at least parts of it. 
Some of you are like right now, well, you don't know the spouse that I was married to. You don't know what I went through. You're right, I don't. The reality is, is all of us have very different perspectives. Mine, and I'll share this a little more, is I grew up with my parents married. They're still married. But before they got married, they were both married to somebody else. And they had two kids each. And so I'm, I lived in a house that, was, that, had, um, that had two parents that were married before and all of the back and forth with the step-parents and, or with the, ex, with the ex-spouse and all of that kind of stuff. And so I, I, I have felt the sting and the brokenness of divorce without seeing my parents get divorced. Some of you, this is a touchy, difficult, heartbreaking topic Because it's not just black and white or red ink. It's not just theory. It's your life. You're going through it right now and you're thinking, I I the person I'm sitting next to, or even not sitting next to, I I don't want to be with them anymore. I've had enough. I'm exhausted. Whatever your perspective is, my prayer is that there will be some answers for you today. That there there will be some blessing for you today. Now, there's no way that I could hit every perspective and go through every possible scenario. And so I wanted to provide a resource for you. There's a QR code going on the screen. It's a good article that uh, if you just take your phone out, snap a photo of it, it'll it'll pull up the link. Um, It's a uh, Bible.org teaching on how Jesus and what his ministry said about divorce and about marriage. It's, there's things in there that I'm still wrestling with that I don't necessarily agree with, but it has a lot of great resources for you, and that will stay up there for a few moments so you have kind of an idea of the next step in learning uh, beyond today's message. I will say, back to what Jesus said, sexual immorality or an affair is not the only biblical reason that you can get a divorce. In fact, we actually see that Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10 through 16, that Paul actually gives what we know as the Pauline exception or the Pauline privilege, which basically says this. If you are a Christian and you're married to somebody that's not an unbeliever and they abandon you, they leave you, then you are released from that marriage. It is, it is no longer in the eyes of God considered a marriage. So those two primary reasons why you can get a divorce is, is an affair, sexual immorality, or uh, the appalling exception, abandonment from an unbeliever. And again, I imagine there's people right now going, uh-oh, I got divorced, and it wasn't because of those two reasons. And, and there's, there's still, there is hope, and there is grace in that. But I would caution you that this Pauline exception, it is used far too often, it is, we were frivolous with it. We throw it out there like, you know, he's just mean to me, so I feel like I've been abandoned. He's acting like an unbeliever, so I feel like I'm abandoned. And the reality is, is all of us as Christians should have Christ-centered, Holy Spirit-driven fruit in our lives. As we grow, as we change, as we mature in the Lord, there should be a maturing on our actions and the fruit that we give out to other people. And so, while this, has, this out clause has been greatly abused and far too quickly used as a reason for divorce, I would balance that and say that unrepentant abuse and neglect from your spouse calls into question their genuine faith in the Lord. Now, I, I say that with caution because some of you might go, see right there, my husband's not saved, I'm out. Listen, anything that I say moving forward, if it is an adulterous affair, if it is the Pauline exception, in my opinion, everything that you might be struggling with right now should be walked on that path, not by yourself, not through TikTok theology, but with your pastors. 
It should be met in, with prayer leaders and with marriage mentors, allowing the church to come alongside you. Because the reality is, as our heart is deceitful, and we love seeing what we want to see, and it's convenient how we ignore and don't see the other things. And so whether it is the appalling exception or an affair, or you just don't know, if you're struggling, if you are hitting a brick wall with your marriage, or maybe you're already divorced and now you're trying to put the pieces together, you're trying to reconcile what it is in your life that you need to move forward, please lean into your pastoral leadership that's here. They're not perfect, they don't have all the answers, but what you need is someone to walk alongside you, to weep when you weep, to rejoice when you rejoice, and to have someone that will carry the burden that honors the word of God above all else. Not just your best friend that's been divorced seven times. is like, kick him to the curb. We don't need him. There's someone better for you. Maybe you shouldn't listen to their advice. You need to be listening to people that go, well, what does the word of God have to say about this? Where is the healing? Where is the truth of the kingdom of heaven? And so again, I will circle back to those of you in your marriage, because so often we project it onto the other person, but just ask yourself this question. In your marriage, if you're married, are you growing in the things of God? Are you exemplifying the fruit of the Spirit in your marriage? More joy and love and peace and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. Are these things bubbling up on the inside of you and coming out? Because your responsibility is to live peaceably with all men, including the person you're married to, with all people as much as it's up to you. And so you should be praying for your spouse. It's okay to acknowledge when there's wrong and when there is things that need to be addressed. We should be able to do that. Anything short of that would be considered abusive. If you have to just keep your mouth shut and, and just head down, power through. You should be able to, in the right context with the right people, be able to bring this and say, we are hurting, we are struggling. Hopefully together, but at a minimum yourself, you should be able to say that in this church. But you also have to be willing to swallow the same pills that you want them to swallow too. Yeah, but they haven't grown. I feel like I'm carrying the spiritual burden. He's supposed to be the head of the house and I gotta do all the heavy lifting. You know what? That's true. And most likely in your scenario, it's true. It's unfortunate and it's not right. But right now you are graced to be able to handle that. There is a mercy of God's provision in his hand over your life to be able to handle it. It's not, it doesn't justify the other person, but this is where you lean into not only wisdom from other people, but you lean into the Holy Spirit. Say, for as long as this is the path and journey that I'm on, your grace is sufficient for me. And this is where our faith has to come from. It's not about, are they going to change? What are they going to do to fix it? Certainly, that's the prayer. That's the hope. That should be what your pastoral staff and your elders and people around you are pushing them towards as well. But where are you? Because that unrepentant abuse and neglect, I, let me put it this way. And I, I, this is you know, a loaded gun here, so to speak. You could use it any way you want to, but please use gun safety, Okay. Right? Like, I'm not saying that every person that's mean or is neglectful or abusive is not saved. So don't hear what I'm not saying. But again, I would look a man of God in the eyes or a woman of God in the eyes, and I would ask, if you are abusing your spouse emotionally, spiritually, physically, can you please explain to me how that's biblical? 
can you please bring me to the place where you, how you have justified your actions in the eyes of God? And if they can't, or if they remain unrepentant, then it is okay for us to begin in the right kind of way, not guns blazing, but in the right kind of way, to be able to say, are you even saved? Can we, can, can we talk about the transformation that should have taken place? The new life, the old is passed away, behold, all things are made new. Can we talk about that? And so I understand that not everybody in here is married, not everybody in here is divorced, not everybody like me uh, was impacted by divorce. I, I get that. In fact, actually, just by show of hands, where's all my single people at? Raise your hands, keep them up. Oh, well, that's your problem. You guys are spread all over the sanctuary. We need like, we need like a single section right over here, like Radiant Connect. Maybe like, ushers, can we rope that off for the next few services? Just like, we can get this Christian Mingle thing kicked off right now. We'll get this taken care of. No, I'm just joking. Okay, so that's actually my point. So I, I want to say this. If you're sitting here and you're single, you know, you probably have one of two perspectives. Either you are just waiting for that moment for Mr. Wright or Mrs. Mrs. Wright to just ride in and save you from the muck and mire of singlehood. Or you have the other perspective that every girl in my youth group had growing up because I read I Kiss Dating Goodbye, which is I am just dating Jesus, which is terrible because how am I ever going to compare to Jesus? But there's no way. I guarantee you, he had like a nine pack. He was amazing. He walked on water. I can't compete with that. So I'm super stoked that Jesus is your boyfriend. Right? That's great. Here's the reality single people. And actually, my burden for this message was more for the single people than it was for the married people. So here, here's, I have to keep it short, but here's my perspective on this for you. The temptation that you might have is to believe that your real life does not begin until you get married. And in all fairness, Christian churches, maybe not this one, but Christian churches, we've perpetuated this. It's baked into our language. Almost this idea of like, oh, you'll get there one day. When the Lord finally shines down upon you and he shows you his mercies unending, you will find the spouse that you need and you will become complete. All things will be well and there will be no issues in this world. Sunshine, roses, and lollipops. We've built into this. Lies. Where's my married people at, right? No. <laughs> Guys, do not raise your hand on that one. Keep it down. This is why we're having issues in the church. You gotta read the room, okay? But no, for single people, listen. And if I, could, if I could apologize on behalf of like all Christianity, you know that's a little bit presumptuous of me. The reality is this, whether it be because of Christians and churches or just our own desires that are on the inside of us, it is a lie from the enemy to believe that somehow you will become complete if and when you get married. Because think about what that says. For those of you that are single, hands back up one more time, those of you that are single, what a terrible thing to say to you, that right now you're just half of a person, right? You only get a little bit of what God has. Your plan from heaven can't start until you get married. That's ridiculous. In fact, I actually think that's a reason why we have such a rampant divorce culture. I think that's part of the problem baked into our marriages is the wrong perspective that we have when we're single, that somehow marriage fixes everything. I just got to get there. And so then when you get there and go, uh-oh, marriage fixed nothing. It actually made it worse. 
then you're like, I obviously married the wrong person. Time to go find somebody else. Right? And so think about this, your identity. We sang about it today, your identity. I'm a child of God. You know how many times I have seen married people, their identity is wrapped up in their spouse. And so when, again, their spouse can't act fully always like Jesus, all of a sudden, they don't know who they are. Or they live far below the intended call of God over their lives because they can only live to the spiritual potential of the anchor that they're married to. Okay, so identity has to be found in Jesus long before you ever become married, if you ever become married. Because let me tell you this, Paul and others, they weren't married. They were called to be single. And so one of the problems in our conversation is, is we don't ask the question through prayer, through fasting, through wisdom from other people of God, am I called to be married? We usually will fill in the blank and be like, well, I want to have sex, so probably I am. <laughs> right? Or I want to feel complete. I want to have a companion. I want to have someone to do life with. And so our identity becomes baked in and wrapped up with the person we're married to. And I'm, listen, I've been, I've been married for many years. I love my wife. We, we, we balance each other well, and I'm thankful for that. But my relationship with Christ can be encouraged on because of my wife, and I can encourage her on, but she can't be my relationship with Jesus, and I can't be hers. And so as you're single now, whether you're called to be married or you're called to be single and rock it out for the rest of your life, whatever it is, you had better find your identity and your relationship with Jesus now. Because then if you do get married, and that's the, the venture that God calls you on, you can walk into that, and guess what? You're not looking for Mr. Wrong to fulfill all the needs in your life. You're going, actually, I have you with the right perspective because I have him with the right perspective. Yes. So get your identity in Christ long, long before you find and marry that person. You have to learn humility long before you get married. This is something you'll find out if you get married. When you get married, if you think of a stove, you are put on the back burner. And if you're not, you're like, no, I demand that everything I have and everything I want is answered right now. If you do that, you will be divorced. I can promise you that. You need to understand that when you get married, you're on the back burner. And then when you have kids, you're not even on the stove or in the kitchen. You're out in the back porch cooling down. You don't even exist. And so humility, we've got to learn it. We've got to learn now to say, I'm sorry, I'm wrong. God, would you forgive me? To that person that, God, would you forgive me? This person, would you forgive me? I messed up. I did this wrong. Humble yourself. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. It happens in marriage, happens outside of marriage. Some of you that are married right now, you're still living like you're single. I want my me time right? I want my technology the way I want it. I want to do what I want. I want to buy what I want. I want all my toys. I want all this. And you just stay doing what you're supposed to do. Some of you, you haven't grown, you haven't grown past. And, I, and, and let me rephrase it. It's not even like you're acting like you're single. Because again, single people should be humble people. Single people should be those that have found their identity in Christ. So it's not even that you're acting single, you're acting selfish. And so let's make that really clear. When you get married, you are called to be the biggest servant to your spouse. 
You are men, you are called to lay your life down for your spouse. Wash them in the word. Bless them, anoint them, cherish them. And why is the same? And so if you can't get through your mind right now as a single person that life isn't about you and that you are called to pick up your cross daily and follow Jesus, you are to be a living sacrifice for what he says according to the word empowered by the spirit. If you can't figure that out now, you're gonna cause a wake of devastation once you get married. You better do the hard work when it's a lot easier and it's just yourself than when you have a whole other person or people in your household. And you have to fight through all of those dynamics as well. Lastly, for single people, your integrity. This is a big one. I, I believed this growing up. I've heard people talk about this. They may not say it, but deep down they believe it. Right now I'm struggling with sleeping with people or I'm struggling looking at pornography and all the things that come along with that, which is why I want to get married because it will solve it. <laughs> there you go, right there. <laughs> no, it doesn't. It doesn't because guess what? Grant, I, I can almost guarantee you your spouse can't fulfill all of your sexual desires if they're based out of sin. And so you're just off doing whatever you want to do as a single person thinking that one day my spouse can come in and just rock it. And they're not. Hopefully you've married someone that has not been rooting around in the mud, in the muck, in the sinful mire, on the depths of depravity. Hopefully you've married someone that says, my mind, my sexuality, my body has belonged to the Lord and now I give it to you as a gift. And so... If you're waiting to get married to think that somehow it will scratch the itch and it will take care of it, what happens when you stop having sex? Or there's a lot of time in between? Or something happens that that just doesn't work anymore? Was your marriage done? Is it now invalid? Is it now something that is no longer precious? No. If your identity, your humility, and your integrity is founded in Christ, you can weather those difficult seasons. But if it's focused on you, centered on you, you ain't making it. I love you. I'm not trying to be that guy. But the reality is, is this is a wake-up call for some of you. Some of you, and it's not even just the singles, hopefully married people, you've been hearing the exact same thing that I've been saying. Marriage is not a cure-all. It's not a fix-all. It is a blessing from the Lord if you're called to it. There's beautiful things that, come, that can come from it. But it's not all that you are, and it's not all that God has called you to be. So one more time, where's my single people at? Raise your hand. You're like, I don't even want to raise my hand anymore. Let's skip this. Who, of you single people, who wants to come up here and help me out? Just get on up here. Get on up here. Give it up for them. All right. This is your one and only chance right now. So just tell us a little bit about yourself. Maybe just kind of bring us down that journey. <laughs> I totally about to. Yeah. <laughs> All right, ladies, listen up, of Radiant. This is going to be great. Going once, going twice. No, uh, that's that's not what we're doing. Okay, don't don't worry. <laughs> don't worry, we're good. You're you're, you're good. Okay. So uh, in here, I have a, a container of Play-Doh, red 
and blue. And no, I'm not gender, well, I guess I kind of am gender stereotyping a little bit. Blue for guys, red for girls. And I know, I know, I know, I know. Not all girls like pink, I get it. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm tracking with you, don't worry. But I didn't want to bring all the other colors out of the rainbow, so we're just going to rock with blue and red. So in here is some Play-Doh. What I'd like you to do is um, begin to mash these together. I, I, what I'm looking for is not this, where they can easily be pulled apart. I'm looking for it to be all just kind of ground up and into itself. So just keep working on that. Let me read Matthew chapter 19, verse 3 through 6. It's okay if you get on the carpet. Just do what my kids do and just grind it in. <laughs> yeah, your stage is hit. Sorry. There's, there's no coming back from that. I was even thinking to myself, wow, this stage is the cleanest I've ever seen it. And now it looks like behind the drum cage. <laughs> Matthew chapter 19, verse 3 to 6. <laughs> Hell of you, Anthony. All right. And the Pharisees, these are the religious people, came up to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And Jesus answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning, made them male and female, blue, red, and said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That's why he's mixing it, one flesh. And they are no longer two, but one, purple, right? You guys have a rule, no purple in youth group, right? No purple. It's fine that you like girls or, the, or you like the opposite sex, but let's not mix those colors together, youth group, all right? My son's the only one in here that's of that age, so no purple, all right? Verse six, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. Here's the encouragement. God joined you together in marriage. This is not two that are continuing to be two. This is two with the blessing and the covenant and the anointing of God, two have become one flesh. That's perfect, just right there. And God, when regards, regarding divorce, God does not encourage divorce, but in circumstances, as we mentioned in other ones that we didn't, God will permit it. Because he, remember, he's the one that made you one. This is, this is not just, oh, we just didn't take our personality profile test and we're not compatible, so let's get separated, right? This is God saying two become one. And that's the problem with culture is marriage is only the certificate. It's only tax benefits. It's only a legal binding document. And we don't talk about oftentimes, even in Christian weddings, that it's first above all else, it's spiritual. And so, because, hey, I can forge documents. If I have to pay somebody to give me a divorce, certificate of divorce like they were doing in the Old Testament, why not? If I can get rid of this person that's just nagging me and pulling me down and I can go hook up with that other person over there, that's amazing, why not? The God's going, that's not that easy because you're not seeing it through kingdom lenses, you're seeing it through human and legal civil lenses. The reality is there is a relentless barrage of attacks pulling against your marriage. So now what I want you to do, and again, this is just poorly thought, poorly thought out. So <laughs> what I need you to do now is I need you to separate the red from the blue. <laughs> you can do it right over here. Just do it over here so you can at least try to, you know, consolidate some of it. Put the red right here, the blue right there. So at, go ahead and pull that. <laughs> there is a constant barrage of attacks that's always, always pulling at your marriage. There's social media. There's your best friend who's always got awesome advice, right? There's the people at work. 
There was that hot person that you've been checking out that you have no right to be checking out at work, right? A lot of times the pulling and tearing of your marriage is actually by your own hands. Like, so, you know, like we, we say, well, God's joined together. Don't let anybody separate. We think to ourselves, okay, we got to have good friends. You should. Got to have a good church. You should. Got to have pastors that believe in marriage. You do. What about your own hands? What are you doing to add to your marriage or most likely detract from your marriage? That me time is killing some of you. That social media, that cell phone time, it's killing your marriage. Maybe fun. It may let you veg out. May let you unwind at the end of the day. It's murdering your marriage. And make no mistake about it, you can claim enemy, enemy, enemy all you want, and certainly he's playing his cards quite well right now. But your hands still have blood, or in this case, Play-Doh all over them. So we're separating out. Well, kind of, we're trying. Let me read this, Matthew chapter 19, verse 7 and 8. They said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce, that's the legal side, and to send her away? And he said to them, because of the hardness of your heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. The template, the going back to the original intent and creation of marriage was not that two come together and then we shred them apart. The original intent was that we would remain married and we would honor God with our union and if you're blessed with kids from that, with your children. That we would raise godly families, that we would have a legacy of Christ that we can give to other people. Remember, from the beginning, it was not so. This whole certificate of divorce, this whole throwing things away that are precious, from the beginning, it was not so. And God said, it was actually because of the hardness of your heart it was that pride, it was that stubbornness, it was that unrepented sin, it was those things that you just did for you that you were unwilling to sacrifice for the other person. Now again, divorce, if it truly is the hardness of your heart, it's, it's either the person you're married to, yourself, or most likely a combo of both. The hardening of heart, the resisting the Holy Spirit, the ignoring the word of God, most likely it is somewhere in who cares if it's 95, 5%. If it's 10%, 90%. Who cares what the ratio is? I mean, it matters. Certainly, they need to be addressed. But at the end of the day, your responsibility is, Holy Spirit, where's my heart? Search me. Reveal me. And God, is, he, he's your defender. Listen, your spouse, if they're doing that stuff, it's, if it's left unrepentant and it's in the dark, your spouse, they're going to have to answer the Lord for that. They're going to have to deal with that. You are impacted by it, but for your salvation, for your sanctity, sanctity, for who you are, is your heart right before the Lord? Can you stand there? Not perfect, no one is, but can you stand there and say, God, I truly, genuinely am doing everything that I can to bring blessing to my spouse, to my marriage, and the person that you gave to me. So right here, here's the red tote. Here's the blue tote. The reality is we're not going to be able to cleanly separate. It's impossible. Once you start cramming that Play-Doh together, God created two, and then out of marriage, he created one. And so, listen, this is messy. There's stuff everywhere. Let's give it up. Thank you so much. Great job. This is messy. 
Divorce is messy. Some people are like, dude, you don't need to tell me that. I, I'm living that right now. But I want to just burst a bubble if it happens to exist in here. There is no such thing as an easy and clean divorce. It doesn't matter if you have lawyers that work it out. It doesn't matter if you're going to, for the sake of the kids, be nice to each other and divide things equally in the right kind of way. 50-50 or whatever it is that you decide that works best for your calendar. It doesn't matter if you, in your mind, think that you have everything figured out and it's all nestled in perfectly. At the end of the day, God created two into one, and it is impossible to separate that one back out to two again without there be a, a tearing, a shredding, and a mess. Now, you might think, well, you know what, Pastor? I would disagree with you. I'm thankful I'm no longer married to that person. They were terrible to me, and the reality is I'm sorry for that. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not saying you're a bad person. Don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm saying spiritually, our hearts are a tattered mess when it comes to divorce. Our kids, our kids are terribly negatively affected by divorce. It's unbelievable what they go through. Do not buy into the lie of the enemy that this is gonna be clean and neat and simple. Because he's only looking and he's only communicating to you about the natural, not the supernatural. He's looking at it on the civil side and not the spiritual side. You're made as one. Now listen, there's a million questions after that. What do I do with my bad situation? What about the fact that I got divorced and I don't even know if I got divorced for the right reason and now I'm remarried or I want to get married? There's probably many different scenarios that are rattling around our minds right now. So I ask one thing right now as I, as I get ready to close with this last scripture. I ask one thing. I have probably created more questions than I have answered them, but I ask that you would put it on pause for a moment. That, that you would wrestle your thoughts to the ground and you would say, hold on. No matter what I need, no matter what comes next, please just listen to this last part as I end. Malachi chapter two, verse 13 through 16. Here's another thing you do. You cover the Lord's altar with tears, weeping and groaning, groaning, because he pays no attention to your offerings and doesn't accept them with pleasure. You cry out, why doesn't the Lord accept my worship? Well, I'll tell you why. The reason why the Lord in this scenario doesn't accept their worship is because the Lord witnessed the vows you and your wife made when you were young. But you have been unfaithful to her. And it's not just having sex with somebody else. Some of you, you've just been unfaithful with your time. You've been unfaithful with your thought life, your integrity, your identity, your humility. You've been unfaithful. But you've been unfaithful to her. Though she remained your faithful partner, the wife of your marriage vows, didn't the Lord make you one with your wife? In body and spirit, you are his. And what does, it, what does he want? He wants godly children from your union, whether it be natural children or spiritual children that you mentor, that you steward. You don't have to have kids to have godly children. He wants godly children from your union, so guard your heart, remain loyal to the wife of your youth. Verse 16, for I hate divorce says the Lord, the God of Israel. To divorce your wife, here it is, is to overwhelm her with cruelty. Other translations say to cover her with a cloak of violence, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So guard your heart and do not be unfaithful to your wife. 
Lord, as we end this time, just a drop in the bucket, a, the tip of the iceberg as far as what needs to be talked about, what can be handled. But Lord, I ask that you would do in our hearts right now what we are in our natural are unable to do in my communication I'm unable to do. God, that you would heal those broken areas. Those of us that have been living married, unmarried, divorced, we have been living not according to your word. God, I thank you that in all those circumstances, you promise us that if we will humble ourselves, if we will repent and turn from our wicked ways, that you from heaven, that you will hear us and you will forgive us and you will heal our land. God, would you do that today? In every scenario, in every situation, whether we were right or we were wrong, God, we say thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your grace, your unmerited mercy in our lives and the healing that comes from that. God, I ask for every person here that has been ravaged by divorce, like me and my family have, God, that you would surround them, that this message, even if they went back and re-listened to it, that it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be a heaviness to them, Lord, but it would be a reminder of the beauty and the importance of marriage. And for those that are con- contemplating divorce, God, that they would find and seek out real, genuine, Christ-centered help. And those that are just left in the wake of this sin, God, that they, afresh and anew, that they would discover the life that you have for them. Lord, I'm thankful that you can break soul ties. Lord, I'm thankful that you can do spiritually what we cannot do in the natural. We may Plato this whole thing up, but God, you surgically, with precision, can change and heal and mend. Not that we use grace as an excuse to sin. No, God, break us of that. But if we have sinned, God, thank you for your unmerited mercy if we will cry out and ask for it. God, that you would expand the pastoral ability of this church so that they can receive in those that are hurting, those that are, that are undernourished in their marriage, those that have feel abused and neglected, God, that they can receive them in and pour out into them rivers of living water because that's what's on the inside coming out. And Lord, for that person that truly, genuinely is being abused right now, emotionally, spiritually, physically, God, would you reaffirm to them that they are precious and they are beautiful to you? that they are important to you, that no one, no one should be abused. That you don't have to just sit there quietly and take it, but they are a child of you, royalty, sons and daughters of the king. And in this life, they're not to just sit there and be abused, but they are to be cherished according to your word. So Lord, in all these things and all these scenarios, Lord, would you help us open our eyes Heal our hearts. We thank you for this in Jesus' name.